Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. Boom. All right. Well, if you're ready to go, I'm ready to go. All right, let's do it. Okay. All right, here we go now. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this special episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is the Geek Executive Officer of Graziani Multimedia. Please welcome Tracy Graziani. Tracy, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to have you on. And and, uh, Tracy, we were just talking a little bit before the show about uh, this new term that's going out there. It's a new term that a lot of businesses are adopting and really finding the need to adopt, need to align multiple different departments in their organization. And this term is called RevOps, Revenue Operations. And so I just want to start there, bring our customers who are listening to this, learning about RevOps for the first time, a little bit about how you stumbled upon this, your experience in RevOps, uh, and what it's all about. Yeah, so uh, uh, I often tell it in in the framework of a story. So our clients uh, are mostly in the alternative energy space and um, uh, or innovative startups. But a company that we've been working with for a really long time, they're successfully getting a lot of leads. And initially, our, our role with them was was marketing. And we you know were reviewing some things and noticed that they had had an inbound lead from SpaceX five days prior, and no one had followed up on it. So we reach out to the client and we're like, hey, did you happen to notice you had a lead from SpaceX? And they're like, oh, crap. And of course, you know how this ends, right? By the time they did follow up on that lead, it was too late. You know, the the window of opportunity had passed and, you know, they missed a really, really great opportunity. And I think that was for us like this wake up call moment where we're like, 
you know, if we're only helping with marketing, we're not actually helping our clients. And so we started doing something that people do talk about a little bit more, which is sales enablement. So looking at how marketing and sales work together. And so for a while, we're humming along, working with our clients, and we're taking a more sales enablement oriented approach. And then we noticed this other problem showing up, which is great. We've got things, we're delivering leads, we're following up on the leads, we're selling things, and then things are falling apart on the service end and you're having a lot of customer churn. So at that point, we're like, okay, so we actually need to help our clients across that whole customer life cycle. Like we have to look at uh, from the from the time that they're lead all the way through being a customer, we have to look at that. And that means we have to align sales, marketing, and service together. So that's what we start doing with our clients. And uh, I started noticing this word on LinkedIn every so often where people are saying RevOps. And I tend to get annoyed by too much business jargon because I think it can be silly. But, you know, after I'd seen it a few times, I'm like, okay, what is this, right? I Google it and I'm like, oh, there's a word for this thing that we've been doing with our clients and it's RevOps. <laughs> and the idea of revenue operations is basically that the way that we've built our businesses doesn't work anymore. It's very outdated having these silo departments that have their own sets of separate goals, KPIs, accountability, deliverables. You end up with friction within your company that really gets in the way of your profitability, your revenue, delivering a good customer experience, all of those things. And it's just left over from an industrial model where we put everything in silos and departments. And frankly, most businesses don't need to work that way anymore. And it gets in the way of them growing. Let's <clears throat> talk a little bit about alignment, where this journey begins. Could you provide first our audience with, with like, hey, you know, who, who are your customers? Who are you kind of speaking to? Who are you working with? And then where you like to start this journey? Yeah. So people never reach out for help. They never hire someone until they have a problem, right? So, so we don't really encounter a lot of companies that are just having a nice, steady, you know, problem-free growth sure. trajectory, right? <laughs> Those folks don't need our help. Uh, but, but who we end up helping are companies that one of two things has happened. They've either grown to a certain place and then they've just hit a plateau and they can't get to the next place. And generally that's because the way growth works, what gets you where you are often isn't the thing you need to do to get to that next level. It's almost kind of like stair steps. And there's a lot of for a lot of reasons, the way we've organized business, the way we've done business plans. There's a lot of looking backward that people do in business and that doesn't always work. <laughs> so that's sort of one bucket of people that come to us. They, they've grown and now they're stuck and they can't seem to grow anymore. And then the other part are the companies that have grown till they break. So they, they grow and outgrow their existing, you know, processes and things and and what used to work is now starting to fall apart so they might still be growing but they know that there's problems on the horizon and they need to figure out how to right the ship and grow predictably sometimes when companies are rapid growth they don't even actually know why they're growing so quickly because there's a certain amount of chaos that's happening so let's let's talk mm -hmm. about that for the stereotypical uh, small medium business who just loves that Excel spreadsheet 
They, their Excel spreadsheet is their CRM right now, is the go-to shop for tracking leads and having people access information. And oftentimes, that spreadsheet gets neglected or does not get updated on time. How does one evolve? Is this what you're talking about? How does one evolve from a spreadsheet to what you're saying as an, uh, a holistic system? Right. So it's no secret that the rapidly growing companies right now are doing that with data, right? I mean, however you feel about Amazon, positive or negative, the truth is Amazon's growth and their stronghold on the market is in part because of two things. And the first thing is that they're a data company who happens to sell stuff. And the second thing is they have a radical focus on their customer. And so when you look at revenue operations, you simply can't grow too far on spreadsheets. You need better data and you need to have a single source of truth with your data. The problem with spreadsheets is when we start working with somebody that their whole business is on spreadsheets, it's not like there's one spreadsheet. Every person has 27 spreadsheets or whatever <laughs> that tangle of spreadsheets is, and they all use them differently and they all have <laughs> different naming conventions and different things that they track. And then there's the people that don't even have spreadsheets. It's post-it notes and it's, you know, legal pads and it's, you know, and there are people who do have a CRM, for example, but they're not really leveraging it in ways that are going to help them grow their business. And so all of those things factor in. With revenue operations, you want to have a single source of truth. So that's going to be your platform, your CRM and your other app and tools and things. And when you start looking at RevOps, you see a lot of the conversation on LinkedIn and other places gets bogged down in the tools. And, and, and that's fine. The tools are great. But tools alone are not the answer because, yes, you need a really good platform and you need all of that data, but you also need the humans that, that input that data <laughs> um, to, to buy into using the tools, to having systems and processes to leverage them and all of those things. And then back to the Amazon example. And at the end of the day, the foundation of everything that you do still has to be your customer. That, that, that has never changed in business, right? That, that's, that's the difference between companies that succeed and fail. And what I like about purpose-driven companies is part of why, aside from the fact that we just feel morally, you know, um, obligated to do good with the work that we do, but purpose-driven companies tend to actually understand that about business a little bit better than a, a lot of conventional companies. And, and when you're <clears throat> talking about purpose-driven you know, leaders, entrepreneurs, people that you know believe um, in, in a deeper meaning behind this and, and want to change the world and, and kind of find mm -hmm maybe business as a vehicle to, to do that. And so the alignment was what you're saying comes a little bit more clear to a lot of these, these purpose-driven leaders. Yeah, I mean, that's why everybody, everybody can pick when you, build, when you build your own company, you can build whatever kind of company you want, right? So for us, we wanted to build a company where we, with 
the work we do, we help people grow and grow at a much greater pace than is standard in their industry. Why would we want to help people grow something that's doing harm? <laughs> you know, for me, I can't imagine doing that. So, you know, like I, we even put it in a job posting, you know, like these are our values. So, you know, green energy, yes. Oil and gas, no. Like we're just not going to be interested in working with a company that we know that our efforts would amplify something bad, right? right, right. And so I, I want to go back to the operations and the growth. If I'm a, a CEO, if I'm a business owner listening to this, how do I know when the right time is to incorporate uh, a, a new system, a, a, a single source of truth, as you said? Well, I think that what's interesting is that now there are even free tools available. So if you're a company of one, you could be using a CRM and, and not paying anything out of pocket to do it. So there's probably never a point where it's too early to start being organized with your data and collecting your data. Uh, however, that's not common. <laughs> you know, it seems like uh, when a company is small enough that the employees are wearing multiple hats. So when you're say less than 10 employees, uh, it's very common for most of your knowledge processes, all of that to be trapped in somebody's head and not documented in any meaningful way. And the sooner you can start documenting your processes, uh, your, your principles, your playbooks, your all of those things, the more things that you can get out of somebody's head and, you know, written down and searchable and accessible, uh, the faster you're going to be able to grow. And a lot of times people view those things as nice to have, not need to have. But uh, for example, our clients uh, or most of our clients are in the alternative energy space in one way or another. Right now, the conditions of the world mean that all of our clients are experiencing a big surge in activity in their companies. Right. If you don't have those systems and processes in place and suddenly you're getting four times the leads you were a year ago, things start to break. Right. right. Being prepared, right? Being prepared for the storm. Yeah. I mean, and, and you don't have to think about it as a negative thing either, right? It also just makes your job easier. <laughs> like everybody's job is easier when it's very clear what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you were doing it. Um, so, and I like the term that you had used uh, on an enablement, like that's what the training aspect comes to me as like, gosh, how many hours do we spend on training uh, people to understand a new system, uh, to understand how the process works? So is what you're saying for like new hires for, for new people coming in the organization as, as well as, you know, um, maybe the people who are going to be using this now and just starting to like, Tell me, tell me uh, an example of who will be accessing this information. So we really believe in, in making as much of what you do an open book as humanly possible. So there are certainly some situations in some companies where there may be things that are trade secrets or proprietary or something that, that you can't have openly available to all the employees, but that's actually pretty rare. And to be honest, the fact that Coca-Cola has their recipe like locked up in a safe today is kind of laughable because I'm pretty sure that it could be reverse engineered, right? So there's really a lot more to be gained from uh, 
visibility and openness. So we recommend creating things like uh, knowledge base or wiki, uh, which is searchable and open source and everyone can contribute to it. The resistance to operational things like systems and processes usually comes from when that is forced on people rather than in an ideal situation you co-created as a team. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then the operations, the procedures, the systems, they're, they're made from agreed upon concepts, principles, you know, pathways already. Mm-hmm. You know, I think where it breaks is, is when it's imposed on people. Mm-hmm. You know, well, they brought in an efficiency expert and they said, this is how you have to do it. And then, then you have, you know, like an office space and you have, you know, what was his name? Kevin with the stapler or whatever, you know, my swing line stapler, you know, we're all going to turn into that person if change is forced upon us. But if we get to co-create the change, it's not so bad. And most people know things that can be done to improve their work and the work of their company. If you include them in that. And and for the people listening out there, like, ah, interesting. This makes a lot of sense. And we're going to be going through some growth and they're just starting to get some ideas of what of how they could start enabling uh, their employees to to learn the processes better, to have a a go to source of truth for information, to uh, enable and let uh, let their company grow. What are some of the platforms from your experience, Tracy, that you're most comfortable with that you would maybe recommend uh, implementing? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm slightly biased, but. Uh, obviously familiarity with, with a tool set, you know, may tends to make you uh, biased in that direction, but, but in a broad sense, everyone should have a CRM and most companies would benefit from project management software. Okay. And then from there, the rest of it really does end up becoming more applied to what your business does and what your challenges are and those kinds of things. Uh, we're HubSpot partners. Uh, we really like working with HubSpot. Uh, it is right now, when you look at G2 Crowd, it is the number one CRM. Um, we also are active campaign partners. We we used to use active campaign with a lot of our clients. We don't anymore, um, except for legacy clients that are already on it. Uh, for a couple of reasons, but one of them really is that that data piece. Um, HubSpot just has a much uh, a, a better way to collect more uh, and more accurate data as in terms of attribution and all of the things you want to do uh, to move those growth growth levers as you go along. The other thing that we really like about HubSpot is its ease of use makes adoption much much more likely. When you talk about CRM, a lot of people immediately bristle because at some point they had Salesforce forced upon them in a job somewhere. And it's not a particularly user-friendly tool. Uh, It's very robust, but it was the first of its kind on the market. And it's kind of, uh, it it hasn't aged well with how uh, CRMs are being used in businesses today. Because when Salesforce was launched, Enterprise level companies were using CRMs. Now, a CRM can be used by a solopreneur through a multi-billion dollar <laughs> company. And so if if you want something that's going to be flexible and have really high adoption, it needs to be very easy from a user interface 
and have a lot of automation built into it in order to get people to actually use it and leverage it in the business. If the tool, any tool is pointless if people don't use it. And I think that's where a lot of companies miss the mark, right? Like here's a platform that maybe that might integrate well, maybe it has a better deliverability, but if your sales people can't use it, then it kind of, it's kind of pointless, isn't it? I mean, do you feel- There's, you somebody, feel- there's so many people I'll talk to and they'll be like, well, on Fridays we update the CRM. And then when I hear that, I'm like, so do you guys have Salesforce then? And they're like, yeah. Because what happens is because it's not as user-friendly, salespeople have some other process for how they track what they do all week. And then on Friday, they sit down and enter it all into Salesforce after the fact because they don't like working with the tool. And ideally, you know, the way you can use a tool is you are using it as you're doing your work, right? So when I'm making sales calls, I just have that contact record open on my computer. I call from that contact record. My call is automatically recorded into that contact record and transcribed. I can put notes in there. In addition to that, all of that's just done. I never have to go back and update the CRM. It's just doing that. You know, when I'm on a Zoom, you know, I have an AI note taker that transcribes the whole conversation on Zoom and it plops it right into the CRM after the fact. So I don't need to take notes, type notes, add the notes. It does it all for me. Hmm. And and Tracy, Hmm. how do you work with the business? Are you advising on this or are you kind of helping uh, put some grease on on the bicycle to help ease the the, the transition into uh, adoption? So we have that we've evolved over time because you you respond to your clients. And so we started out mostly as a service provider, like here, just outsource to us. We'll just do this stuff for you. And that isn't as effective (laughs) in the long term because you do really need the people in the company to be engaging with and using those systems for for it to work well. So what we tend to do with clients now is we kind of have an evolutionary relationship. So at first we do stuff for you because getting set up is overwhelming. Getting started can be a lot. So at first we'll help you. We'll, we'll build workflows and we'll help you set up sales sequences and we'll, you know, create email templates and we'll do stuff for you to get you started. But then we do it with you, (laughs) you know, so eventually we transition to, okay, we've got you all set up and we document how we did that back to having a wiki or a knowledge base or something like that, right? Then we do it with you. So at that point, that's where we start training and we start co-creating with you and we start helping you figure out uh, how to build into your processes some fluidity so that you can adapt and respond to data. And then hopefully you're growing and you're growing quickly, which means you're adding staff, you're adding team, you're adding capacity. So at some point, our role becomes entirely consulting and advising because you're going to hire people who can take on some of that strategic work that we're doing, we were doing for you. You know, so we'll 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 be your strategy while you're getting sorted. <laughs> but eventually you want to have that. And and if you're growing quickly, if you're growing at 30% or better year over year, that means you're adding headcount. And so what we need to do is help you do that in a smart way and make sure that as you do that, we don't lose what we've already built. 
So let's go into that about customer success, customer support. What is your whole philosophy on on supporting uh, customers for for a business, uh, as well as how are they using and interacting with uh, marketing officers and the the sales enablement team? Yeah. So first of all, one of the things I we had to learn the hard way is. Uh, in our sales process, we have to really qualify the companies that we work with. And so if it, as we are going through the sales process, it becomes clear to us that the business that we're talking to doesn't have uh, empathy for their customer and doesn't have a true desire to help their customer, then they're not a fit for us as a client because I can't help them if they don't want to help the people they serve. Hmm. So that's sort of, you know, table stakes for us now. <laughs> and uh, we learned that the hard way. I can't care for you. Like that's, you can't outsource that. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't make you um, focus on the people you serve. You have to already be doing that. So that's kind of the first piece. Oh. But then the second piece is how, how do you, most people people who have you know come up in business as it was are used to a very friction oriented environment right you know all the jokes whether you're looking at like dilbert or or office space or anything all the jokes about companies are kind of fair you know because at the end of the day what the heck is a TPS report, right? Like, you know, is this thing that we're doing actually leading to a better outcome for our customer? If it is, great. If it's not, how do we change our process so that it does? You know, so what happens in the old way of doing things is that you have different sets of goals. So marketing has like traffic goals or lead goals or whatever. And then sales will have, you know, sales or revenue oriented goals, right? Mm -hmm. And then service will usually have either NPS scores or some kind of a measure of whatever, however they assess customer service. Uh, and, and all of those three things are, are different. And, and when you're all heading in the direction of that target, you're missing the overall point, right? Which is, I don't think capitalism has to be a bad thing, right? Capitalism can be a force for good if you do it right. And so at the end of the day, your business should be making money because with more money, you can do more good. And so I think that even in like super like hardcore capitalist businesses, somehow people don't wanna talk about that piece, right? But at the end of the day, what you do in marketing, what you do in sales, what you do in service, it all has to tie back to revenue or you don't have a business anymore. And so having one set of goals and everybody working towards those goals reduces the infighting and the blame and the, you know, because you've, I mean, what in Glenn Glary, uh, Glenn Ross, you know, where they're like, you know, the leads are bad, you know, mm -hmm. That's it's funny because it's true, right? Because you go into any business in America today, open the door and say, hey, can I talk to someone in marketing? And marketing is going to complain that sales isn't following up on their leads. And then you say, can I talk to somebody in sales? And sales is going to say, marketing is giving us crap leads. 
you know, and then you talk to somebody in service and they're going to say, those salespeople will tell anybody anything to make a sale. And then we're left trying to sort it out later. Any business in America, you're going to hear that same stupid story. And yet until revenue operations, nobody has decided that maybe that is pointless. And, <laughs> and here we have conflict, internal conflict that's getting in the way of helping the customer. Right. Exactly. So we, we've got all these different terms and jargon and everyone's kind of blaming each other, but say, Hey guys, look, we got to worry about one single thing. And that is just the dollar bill sign. That is just revenue that's coming into the organization. And if we do better, we can do more good in the world. Uh, now this revenue could also be breaking, broken down to a couple of different metrics, of course. Uh, yeah. What are some of the metrics that you recommend business leaders uh, on all of these different silos be tracking? Uh, for instance, we hear all the time in the tech world, CAC to LTV, uh, customer acquisition cost to lifetime value. What are some of the metrics, Tracy, that you like measuring? Actually, I think that's a really good one. And uh, and you're right, that does show up in SaaS as, as something. But the truth is, uh, you know, your diner on the corner also cares about customer lifetime value, right? Like, so, and they may not use the same jargon for it, but they sure understand that their regulars are their most valuable customers, right? So. You know, I think that uh, goals and KPIs are different things. You know, so the so that's that's one of the things that I think people get distracted by. So KPI is a key performance indicator, right? So this is something that tells us how we're performing. So it's still okay to track how many leads you have coming in. That's a good thing, right? But that's that should be a KPI. That's a key performance indicator. It's not a goal. Leads cannot be deposited in the bank, right? <laughs> so, so they're nice, you know, but they're a piece of a bigger puzzle, mm. you know? And so what you have to do is, first of all, you have to get really solid data because if you have really solid data, you can divide that data up in new ways to understand it better, you know? So that's what I also like about a, a quality CRM that has attribution reporting because- when, I, when we start working with a client and once we have, say, six months or a year of data, then one of the first things we do is say, okay, so let's pull up our existing customers and let's look at how they interact with us. And they're always shocked to find things like, oh, people who buy from us visited 120 pages on our website. You know, because they've never really stop to think about what that customer journey really does look like. They assume a lot of things about it, but when you can actually look at those data points and realize, oh, look at this. Did We didn't realize that 27% of our customers were a lead for 18 months before they bought. You know, that kind of data is really valuable and it varies based on a lot of things. You can even have two businesses that are in the same industry, but have slight variations in what they do. And those customer journeys and their life cycles are gonna look very different for reasons you may not understand if you're not collecting that data. Hmm. The thing that comes to mind for me, Tracy, is once we build alignment, right, with all these different departments, 
now we're working on training or help them understand, you know, this is what lifetime value means and this is how we're going to be tracking it on the CRM. I'm going to assume there's going to be some internal resistance just naturally from people. What is the change management process like for you? Are you incorporated in that? Uh, tell me about your experience and helping, you know, pulling people along. That's that's why I really believe in having training as a part of the the whole process and the whole um, approach mm. is because and 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 the the way that we address do it is a little bit different than maybe other people, but I think a lot of people do this is if you have a more consultative, inclusive way of introducing the change, then the change isn't coming from the consultant. It's not coming from us. It's not coming from the top, but it's, we've all together decided that this is what's broken and we're going to work together to find a way to fix it. And guess what? When you do it that way, usually what you arrive at is something pretty close to what the consultant or the management team would have come up with anyway. Mm -hmm. But because we've worked together to solve it as a problem together, there's buy-in to, to make it happen. The other thing that's really important to understand is that employees are internal customers. And so when you're thinking about this, you have to also remember that they have a customer life cycle. And the days of somebody working in any company for 20 or 30 years are gone. And they've been gone for a really long time, but we still act like it's something else. And so it's also really important to note that depending on the role and the contribution and all of that, the people who work in your company are passing through for the most part. That's the truth. <laughs> that's just, and, and the sooner we can get our heads around that, that's going to help with all of this too. Because if you realize that we're building these systems and processes to be flexible because the people who execute them are going to cycle in and out, that is going to make everything actually work smoother. So for example, you mentioned software, a very common sales structure in like in the SaaS business is you don't have what are called a full cycle salesperson. A full cycle salesperson goes all the way from prospecting to closing the deal, right? Okay, that's a very complex skill set that takes a long time to learn and grow and hone and develop. Okay. And what we know is that the average life cycle of a sales employee these days is about 18 months in most companies. So, a full cycle salesperson usually takes nine months to a year to, to actually produce ROI on the investment that you've put into that person. So if we understand that, then why are we still hiring full cycle salespeople, right? I don't know, but people do. Uh, but the SaaS companies, because they've rapidly iterated and they've you know, grown in their own ways, they figured out before the rest of us, the BDR SDR model. So a BDR is a business development representative. Their sole job is prospecting. So their job is to source leads, make contact, book appointments or demos. That's their job. It's very structured. It's very finite. 
It's very clean. It's very clear. Guess what? They also have about an 18 month lifespan most of the time, but you can get them trained and producing an ROI positive in a couple of months. And so having mm. a BDR hand the sale off to then an SDR, that's a sales development representative. That's the person who does the demo or does the qualifying or, or those kinds of things. That's actually a separate skill set. So often the person who's really good at qualifying and, and connecting the, the customer's problems to the solutions that your company provides, that's a different skill set, right? Can you find people that can do both? Absolutely. But they're harder to find. And like I said, it takes a while before they're ROI positive and they're not going to be there that long. So it's better to break this into two jobs that are more specialized and train people by those jobs and then all you have to do is make sure that moving the customer through that sales process is seamless. So it's a pleasant experience. And now you have something that grows more quickly, scales more quickly. As those people cycle in and out, it's easier to hire, train, all of that. So part of it is just reimagining how we do what we do and really creating jobs where people can succeed, right? ideally you want somebody to have a good experience in their job. So if you make jobs that are oriented towards success, it's going to just be a lot better. Yeah. And, and Trace, the things that stuck out to me on that were, you know, this nine to 12 month, you know, cycle where uh, people in sales positions are, you know, leaving the organization or it takes them that long to uh, gain an ROI. And so what I'm hearing is, you know, the days of hiring someone out of college to go around, knock on doors and do manage their own CRM and do every th single thing uh, for the company on a low base salary, uh, that person's probably going to leave your organization. But if you start them small and like you said, a BDR type role, let's just learn a little bit about prospecting and the, and the product that we're selling and give them a goal of reaching an account executive position in, in 18 months, that tends to, to work a lot better because you're already having that churn, might as well have it within the company, of course. So it's, it's a very interesting philosophy. Now I wanna talk about the leadership that it needs uh, in order to make this flywheel approach where uh, the, the leader of the organization or everyone in the organization is on the same goal, looking at the same unit and making sure that when the, when the customers come in, uh, we're going to know how to retain them and continue to get more referrals and whatnot. So tell me a little bit about your leadership philosophy, the, the advice that you give to a lot of the companies that you work with to, to make this effective. So sorry. So it's another one of those jargony words, but the truth is you do need a, a growth mindset, right? So, so for, for a company to to have that kind of growth, the CEO has to have a growth mindset. And that's probably a whole conversation for another day. And you could probably find somebody who's even more skilled at talking about that than I am. But, but at the end of the day, you know, a, a person with a growth mindset sees an obstacle as an opportunity, right? They, they see uh, adversity as a catalyst. You know, there's just uh, a way of looking at what you're doing that's forward facing. 
And so they have to have that first <laughs> um, because, and then they have to have, they have to be bought into the de-siloing of the company and believe that it's going to work or it won't happen. Because if you reinforce the old way of doing things, but layer on this allegedly collaborative approach on top of it, it won't work because you have to actually be committed to the idea that actually we're all on the same team, you know? And so it, it starts with modeling the behavior yourself, you know? leading by example and that kind of ties back into those, those values that you talked about that you emphasized so clear in the very beginning uh, how important is it for you to have that value alignment between yourself uh, and, and your customers and for their customers yeah i i like i said i had to learn the hard way that the only way we can help is if that's there you know and so Whenever I'm talking to a prospect, somebody that we might do business with, you know, somebody that could become a client, I always say, well, tell me about your customers. How do you help your customers? You know, and the answer to that usually is enough for me to figure out <laughs> if we're going to be able to head down the right path. Mm. Um, and and the, the red flags for me are when companies think they're smarter than their customer or when they say, tell me about your customer and they're like, well, if they would just learn this, or if they just understood that, or, you know, if you view your customer as a problem, <laughs> I'm probably not going to be able to help you, you know? Um, and I really think it's fascinating how many people you talk to who like view the customer as a barrier between, you know, their wallet and, and, you know, it's like, I, the business want the money in your wallet. And this customer is the thing between me and your money. And if that's the attitude that you have, there's nothing I can do to help. You know, it, if instead you're like, wow, we are, you know, really fortunate to have such great customers or, you know, we, you know, are really excited about what we're able to do for our customers. Uh, those are people that, that I know are going to succeed, you know, well, Tracy, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I love the the idea of the values and the values creating this alignment, the alignment them to the silos, the silos leading to the ultimate customer success that the leader is going to drive. So uh, let's bring this home, Tracy Graziani. What is your definition of a real leader? Great question. Uh, I I really think the the thing that makes a leader is empathy in action. I think that's what makes you a real leader. You you truly have empathy for others and that spurs you to action. For Tracy Garziani, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, have empathy, take action, and always folks, keep it real. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you.
And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to get access to all of Real Leaders Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a 100 dollar a year subscription hit the link in the show notes enter in coupon code podcast 20 to receive access to all of real leaders to get you to the next level thanks for listening to this episode and always keep it real